We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Everybody, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. I'm going to be joined today in segment one with Evan Sattery to talk all things Victor Wimbenyama and Scoot Henderson. I thought that was a super fun game to watch. What a moment for both of those guys to showcase themselves in front of all these executives in the NBA that were there in attendance. So Evan's going to help me break down that game. And then in segment two, the host of Pacers basketball on Bally Sports and the sideline reporter as well, Jeremiah Johnson, is going to come on the show and talk Pacers training camp, Pacers practice. And, of course, we're going to get ourselves ready for our preseason game number one against the Charlotte Hornets. So J.J. does a great job. He'll be joining me in the second segment. But with that being said, no Fachi today, but that's okay. we got a fun show. We're going to take a quick break. Bring on Evan Sider. We'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
All right, everybody. The game has just ended in the G League Ignite. Our victorious Scoot Henderson led the way with 28 points, 9 assists, 5 rebounds. But Victor Wimbanyama had an amazing showcase with 37 points, 5 blocks, and 7 threes. It was a fun game. Joining me now to talk about these two prospects is Evan Sattery of BasketballNews.com. Evan, what a fun showdown here tonight, Tuesday night, between two of the top prospects in this draft. Yeah, and I think most certainly after tonight, Alex, I think these top two are pretty much cemented. We'll see Victor Wimbanyama all year in France. We'll see Scoot Henderson all year in the G League with their showcase. But a showcase indeed it was tonight, like you mentioned, for Victor Wimbanyama and Scoot Henderson. Over 200 NBA executives were there today from what I was told. Uh, I know for sure there were some pretty important people from Indiana there as well. So uh, a very big day for Wembenyama and Henderson and really a early, early, really showcase that we just saw from those two guys. Yeah, and I'll say this. I mean, this is late game on the East Coast. So if you happen to go to bed at halftime, you probably went to bed thinking, man, Scoot Henderson dominated Victor Wembenyama. You know, we saw some nice flashes from uh, Wemby there in the first half. But, man, it felt like Scoot really got the better of him. But, no. That second half was full of Wimbanyama carrying his team. So I'll just say this. I mean, either player that you get, you're going to be happy with. But let's just talk a little bit about Wimbanyama and how he impacted this game late down the stretch. I will say, for me, what was most impressive was just how fluid he looked, taking those three-point shots, how efficient he was shooting the three-point shot as well. I mean, he's got one of the prettiest shots I've seen, especially from someone Seven foot four. I mean, it's not what you're expecting to see, but I uh, I felt like every time he shot the three point shot, it was going to go in there, Evan. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. And this is just, I've been watching Victor a little bit the last two or three years because his name has been hyped up since he's about 15, 16 years old, and he keeps getting better and better every single year overseas. And this three point shot and his mechanics have rapidly developed. It, it was not like this when he was 16, 17 years old. He's now reached the point where it's, aim fire and it's looking like he's Kevin Durant Jason Tatum from three-point line it's not like a an awkward motion at all it's very much a fluid release for guys seven foot four with an eight foot wingspan like it's just incredible the freakish numbers and attributes that one Banyama has but now with his kind of basketball skill catching up to his physical attribute there Alex you're kind of seeing a guy who could truly truly break the NBA when he gets into it I don't think this is even like a Chet Holmgren situation to me like this is a guy that can go for 30 and give you five, six blocks with just his talent alone. Like, it's, it's incredible to watch. No, I, I'm not trying to even knock Chet at all, but I think Wembenyama is just significantly better overall as a player. But there definitely were some weaknesses and I think some areas that you saw, okay, maybe he needs to work on that. I think one of the ones that really stood out to me was in the first half when he had a rebound just completely taken away from him and got you know the, the, the ignite two points right at the basket. So, I think he's going to have to work on his overall body strength and just continuing to develop. I mean, he's very young, so I'm not worried about that. But, you know, just maybe being a little bit more secure with that basketball. And I felt like there were some times when he got out of position defensively. Now, like you said, if a wingspan, that's, you know, somewhat reasonable that that happens because he's able to recover so quickly. But uh, did anything else stand out to you weakness-wise with him that you thought, oh, maybe he could be a, a little bit better in this area? Yeah, I would say just overall play strength. That, that's something that you mentioned there, Alex, that I think he definitely needs to work on. I think a lot of these new modern bigs getting longer and leaner, you have to kind of get into an NBA strength conditioning program. And I think we'll have to see his improvements over time with Victor because he is only 18, but the way he's playing offensively and defensively right now at his age, and we'll get into Scoot here in a second as well. But these two guys, but the way they played, I mean, I mean, 
that's why a lot of executives are buzzing right now. We're going to be seeing more of this too on Thursday afternoon for the second game of this, but not really much weaknesses I took away from this game, quite honestly. Just the way they were able to put, especially Victor, his team on his back late to make it a competitive game. They were down by, I believe, 21 points at one point in the second half. And then when Binyava starts draining threes left and right, stealing possessions on, the, on defense, I think there's long-term um, some concerns as far as, like you mentioned, the play strength. But just, just I think that's barely just going to be handled pretty well off age alone. I, with this guy, just his trajectory offensively, that's just what I'm blown away with, especially his shooting ability for his size. I Just what I just saw was just pretty incredible. No, I completely agree. And you said we're going to move on to Scoot Henderson here. And, and I think now is a perfect time to do it because – My oh my, he came out firing on all cylinders here, and he was ready for this matchup, ready to prove, hey, I'm not number two. I'm right there with you for the number one spot. And, you know, finishing with 28 points, nine assists, and five rebounds. I mean, I felt like Scoot Henderson dominated the first half. Definitely felt like he took a backseat to Wimbenyama in the second half. But still, I think if you look at his numbers from the first half compared to the second half, he kind of changed his roles a little bit um, as he was a scorer there mostly in the first half and kind of became a facilitator for the Ignite in the second half. So what were your thoughts overall on Scoot Henderson? Yeah, a dominant game from him as well, especially early. He really set the tone offensively going against Wimbenyama, kind of letting be known he's not going to let this show just be about Wimbenyama. And he, I think he had 18 points in the, the first 10 minutes he played there. Just absolutely was dominating uh, against the Metropolitans for a little bit there, Wimbenyama's team. But like you mentioned, he knows how to change his pace a little bit. He went to facilitating later in the game when he knew kind of the defense was on him most of the time and was finding the guys in the open spots. And he, he really can press the on and off button whenever he wants, seems like. And mastering that, I'm not going to say as a fully master at this point, but to be able to have that already in your bag at age 18 is pretty great for his trajectory. I think he really looks the part of what we've heard, like a younger Derrick Rose, a Westbrook, a John Wall, John Morant, like the next up as far as these athletic scoring guards. But Henderson kind of showed, too, he's a good defender. He's a good facilitator as well. And his jumper looks really good, especially in the mid-range, too. His pull-up game and his explosiveness athletically really pops up the screen, too, as well there. So I think Henderson's guy, even to me, like what even from Indiana's perspective, I mean, you could throw this guy into the backcourt, Matherin and Halliburton, and you have a, a freak show trio there as far as a backcourt to build around. Yeah, I mean, I might be a little bit undersized, but I think overall, I mean, if you look at the way that these three guys play, they can make it work. And I think with Scoot Henderson, one of the things that was really impressive was his uh, was his ability to get into the teeth of the defense and make t- tough contested shots. I, I mean, he had a really nice shot over Wimbenyama with a little Euro step. I mean, I just think overall, when you look at Scoot Henderson's game, he is a very fast point guard, quick decision maker and has a beautiful shot, beautiful stroke. I mean, honestly, watching him play in that first half, I thought, wow, is he actually going to be, uh, you know, someone we're talking about as a first overall pick here in a debate? And then Wimbenyama just kind of shut all those talks down um, in that second half because I thought Wimby struggled a little bit in the first half, just kind of getting into a rhythm. But, you know, overall, I felt like this was a really fun game. This is a really great showcase. And like you said, we're going to be able to see these two teams go at it again on Thursday. I believe the game is at noon tip off, if I'm not mistaken. So we're going to have a fun one there. But I think one more player that we should bring up that was uh, that is projected to be a first-round pick is Leonard Miller from the G League Ignite. Did you notice anything about Leonard Miller at all during this game, or did you kind of get lost watching just, you know, Scoot versus Wimby? 
Yeah, I was mainly focusing just on Wembenyama and Henderson on possession-by-possession possession base, but there were some guys, like you mentioned, Leonard Miller, too, kind of popping off the page a little bit for possessions here and there. Obviously, he showed a really good two-way skill set in this game, and I think that will be able to make his transition to the NBA go pretty well. I mean, he looks definitely the part of a lottery pick in this upcoming draft, but uh, I mean, from today alone, Alex, I mean, from Pacers perspective or any other team's perspective, that's maybe going to be looking at the top of this year's lottery. I think most years, a number one pick is maybe obvious some years, but this year, it, it seems like to me, number one, number two are obvious. And even like a Leonard Miller, if you want to sneak him in there into the mid late lottery, uh, I think there's some guys on GD night that really are going to develop more and more as the season goes on. But uh, I mean, th- this showcase was about Wembenyama and Henderson. I think just today, the way they play, will obviously it again on Thursday. But for these teams hoping to get 25 or less wins, like, I mean, how can you not walk away from that? What you just saw tonight and say, well, I think we're on the right track here. Just with the way that these two guys look and with the lottery odds flattened too, like there could be five, six, seven teams trying to tank. And I think these tanking performances in March and April, Alex, are going to be pretty historic to watch. Who do you think has been the the number one overall prospect that player or teams have been wanting to get their hands on? Like we, uh, in terms of uh, recent history, is there anybody that kind of pops off the page at what is like openly tanking to get a player like this? Because, you know, obviously we know a lot of people are trying to tank for Victor and or Scoot. And there's also a lot of good players in this draft, but I'm trying to think of when there's been a prospect that's been this intriguing that teams were openly taking for it. Does anything pop off the page for you with that? I would say the most recent example, that would be Zion. Yeah. I think he was, he was the guy to me where a lot of NBA teams knew right away how special Zion was. Maybe you can go to Luca, but he wasn't really as hyped as when Benyama was even right now. So I would say Luca on a lesser extent for sure. Zion, and it may before that, I mean, I, even though it was a bad draft class, but the way that Lonzo Ball and Markel Fultz were hyped up way back when, th- those two guys have definitely had a lot of buzz around them. But this is uh, different. I mean, just having the showcase created just for themselves before the season even started. For yeah. when and Henderson have 200-plus NBA executives go out there, a lot of GMs, a lot of presence for multiple organizations in Vegas the next two or three days to see these guys up close. I, I mean – this is something we haven't really seen. It's kind of cool that GVIC's kind of taking advantage of this new environment with these top guys going this route and kind of making these showcase games. I think it's good for the NBA to kind of get into this realm a little bit. Yeah, and if you're a Pacer fan, I'm sorry to tell you, but it does not look like the G League Ignite are traveling to Fort Wayne to play the Mad Ants this year. The Mad Ants will play the G League Ignite, but that will be out in Las Vegas. So if you want to get to a G League game to see Scoot Henderson in person, you're probably going to be best off trying to go to watch them uh, play against Memphis. So that is the only time they're close to town here. But with that being said, I mean, I thought this was a really fun matchup, and I'm excited to see how these two respond in game two and how the, the adjustments are made just to kind of see how the opposing team tries to slow each one of them down. But I think right now, like you said, if you're if you're a Pacer fan or just an NBA fan in general, you've got to be excited about the chances of getting your hands on one of these two players and how instantly they can change your franchise. What what an incredible game it was tonight. I'm kind of I'm excited to see how round two of this showcase goes for them on Thursday. Absolutely, man. Well, thank you so much for joining me, you guys. You can check out Evan Sidery on Twitter at E. Is it E Sidery? Yes, E Sidery. Awesome. E Sidery, E S I D-E-R-Y, and you guys can ch- check out all of his work at basketballnews.com. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be joined by Jeremiah Johnson right after this.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, joining us now on Setting the Pace. You guys know him as a sideline reporter for Bally Sports Indiana. It's Jeremiah Johnson. JJ, thanks so much for joining us today. Alex, it's always good to be on the uh, Setting the Pace podcast. You guys have had a great offseason, some solid guests, and I know you do a great job of getting the fan base fired up, so I'm happy to join you. Thank you so much for that. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun this offseason talking to some of these players. But, you know, we've got some basketball games ahead of us here. But before I get into all of that, I've got to ask you. So now uh, with COVID and everything that happened, it was definitely a little bit different in terms of a broadcasting uh, standpoint for you and the team, Chris, Quinn, uh, Eddie Gill, everybody involved. So it appears you guys are going to be traveling this season. So talk to me a little bit about that and how that changes your coverage of the team. Yeah, this is going to be a unique year for a number of reasons, and it's nice that it's going to be a normal year from a travel perspective. All of our, we're still sort of finalizing the way the games will be broadcast, and I don't think we'll have the full production crew with us on the road, but it's not a COVID decision. It's one of those kind of big picture themes where they're able to have a control room back in Indianapolis, but still have the announcers on site. So we'll have some adjustments Um, going on early in the season to get used to that. But as you said, to be able to see all of the games, all 82 with my own eyes and to be able to, you know, more than that for me, I think Chris and Quinn did a really good job. I watched across the league um, two seasons ago. Obviously everyone was broadcasting remotely. And then last season it was kind of hit and miss. Some teams were on the road, some teams were not, but I'll give Chris and Quinn a lot of credit from sitting in a studio watching a monitor and trying to have the same enthusiasm during a call. And even last year when some of the games weren't all that exciting, uh, you didn't know if you didn't know is what I guess I would say that they weren't there. And so to their credit, I think they did a really good job. The pre and the post is a little bit different. Sometimes a, a pregame show, what, if you, even just being in the building, even though the fans aren't all there, um, there's, a, there's an energy and a vibe. And I tried to do the best I could with Eddie Gill to kind of bring that enthusiasm, even though sometimes in a, in a cold and dark <laughs> studio, it, w- it was difficult. But everything that goes into our, to my job is to be able to, you know, share the scene, uh, some of the behind the scenes stories. And it's just really difficult when you're not there. So I look forward to doing the job the appropriate way and not looking back. It was a challenge. It was one that we embraced. And now we're glad to be back on the road this season. Yeah, I think that's super exciting. I mean, you guys did a great job with the coverage, and I know it was different, and you had to adjust, but um, that's how you have to do it when certain situations come up. You just got to adjust and keep moving. But, you know, I'm really excited about this young team. There's a lot of different ways we can look at, you know, how we should watch this preseason game uh, Wednesday. But I'm curious, you know, you've been at the practices. You've been able to talk to the guys at Media Day, do your interviews. I'm just curious, is there one thing that really sticks out to you from training camp so far that we should be keeping an eye on? You know, it's tough because I, I watch, I've watched for a week now, watched them practice, and I'm trying to compare what I observe currently compared to what I saw in recent seasons. And I think even Rick Carlisle acknowledged as much when I asked him today to, 
to sum up what he's seen in, in the last week, he said everyone's excited and optimistic. And I think the true barometer is how teams play, even in these preseason games that don't you know, officially matter. You can see chemistry on the court. You can see how your best five can match up against another team's best five and how do second units compare. So it's tough to just watch a week of training camp and say they're better at this, they're not as good at this. But I will say the competition level is extremely high and the enthusiasm is also high. And I've been curious, you know, with six days or seven days of guys going at each other in practice trying to win i mean they're they're not just going through some of these drills and some of these competitions saying ah but if you win no big deal uh they want to win but i've not once seen any of these you know training camp type skirmishes sometimes you see when an offense goes against defense i mean i've not seen one time that any player looks at another one and, and is upset whether they missed a shot or whether there was a hard foul and trust me you know, there are some hard fouls and there are some guys like Let's say T.J. McConnell, for instance, he could get under somebody's skin pretty easily. And I'm not seeing any of that. So uh, I think it's a good sign for the team building, for the morale, for the chemistry. This is going to be a season with some ups. It's going to have some downs, but they've got to be able to get along. So I think that's probably the one biggest takeaway that I have. And the other thing is uh, it was a day one theme. It was something that was said prior to the start of training camp that they would be focusing more on defense than offense. And that's what we've seen this entire first week. Are they going to be perfect defensively? No, but let's just say TJ McConnell and Miles Turner and, and, a, and a few other guys that weren't on the court in the second half of the season, they can make a big difference. And then you, you combine the fact that guys like Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Smith now have the system and, and what they're trying to do defensively. Now they have a little more experience with that. They can't help but be better now. Granted, there were some times where you couldn't have been much worse last season, but I think that this is a group that is going to make big steps forward defensively, and we'll see that continue to improve over the course of the season. Yeah, that's really exciting. And, you know, I think everybody's really excited to see what Benedict Matherin looks like in his first preseason action. We already got a glimpse of what he might be in the summer league, but it's obviously a different uh, style of play in summer league and a different pace and that kind of thing. But what have been your first, you know, uh, initial thoughts on Benedict Matherin entering his first NBA season in his training camp? Well, just looking at him and watching him in practice, he is farther along than most rookies that you see come into the NBA. Just one, the strength. I mean, he, he takes his shirt off for his post-practice shooting, and <laughs> and it's it's pretty impressive. Normally you think a guy goes from college basketball to becoming a pro and you think, well, I can't wait to see what a year of, you know, weight training and strength and conditioning can do to that person. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what more you could ask for from him. I mean, I, I, Sean Wendell has a challenge as the team's strength and conditioning coach to, to see. You, know, you can't make him any stronger, I don't think. And you don't want him to be too strong. Basketball is not like football. It's one of those sports where I think maybe there's only a certain amount of uh, pure strength that you need. So um, that's the that's the initial takeaway is from day one, he looks more like an NBA player than really any rookie that I that I can recall. I mean, just go back to, you know, let's bring up two players that had a lot of success in a Pacers uniform. I remember Paul George as a rookie. You saw that star potential, but, you know, his body was nowhere near, you know, what it is today, obviously, or nowhere near where, 
you know, Benedict Matherin is. And then mm-hmm. you know, think about Victor Oladipo. I remember going up and talking with him in a locker room in Orlando as, as a rookie. And, you know, he didn't look like this at all. So it's, it's fun to think, man, I wonder what, how good Benedict Matherin can be in a couple of years. But I think he's going to start from day one in a better position than, than really most rookies that Pacers fans have had a chance to watch. Yeah, that's great to hear. I, I think Benedict Matherin is, is, you know, like you said, well beyond his uh, years in terms of just being physically ready. And so that's really good to, good to see. And I think the Pacers overall are just a much more athletic team. But looking at the starting lineup, it appears that Matherin has been running a lot with the second unit. So how has that first unit looked without Matherin? And, and is there somebody that stood out besides maybe a Halliburton with that starting group that you thought, okay, I understand why they're in the starting unit, maybe over Matherin? You know, I, you know, without revealing, you know, everything that I see, some of that when I'm, when I'm practice, I'm trying to just kind of get general themes mm-hmm. and viewpoints. But, you know, I, I'll go back to the question I was asked from, uh, you know, Kevin and Query on the morning show before any practice had been conducted. And they asked me who I thought would be the starting five. And they pretty much put the five and they switched out Matherin and Duarte. And I, I didn't have any inside information at that point, but I thought, you know, I think that you would bring Matherin off the bench early because you don't need to ask too much of him too soon. And this is, this is a big picture play for the Pacers. They're not necessarily going into this season saying, you know, we have to do everything we can to win every game right now. You want development. Sometimes it's a little bit like I uh, bring up football again. Uh, a first-round quarterback is drafted. You're not going to be sitting Benedict Matherin out this season. But you may not start him right away just so you can get him used to the NBA game, let him have some success, uh, maybe going against second unit guards and then maybe finish a close game, be on the court for some of those, you know, those close minutes. So uh, I'm perfectly fine with what I've seen. It doesn't mean that the first week of practice is the exact starting lineup that we'll see uh, on opening night. But with the starting unit, it's been fun to watch Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Smith and Miles Turner sort of work together because you kind of know what Buddy Heald is right now in the NBA. He's been a pretty vocal uh, leader. He's been someone who I've seen really take a leadership role during practice. But, you know, the biggest thing I wanted to see is how does your point guard play off of the big men? You knew that he could play with Jalen Smith. However, it's a little bit of a different role for Jalen Smith, and they weren't always on the court at the same time in those final two months last season. So I think that's the big thing is sometimes he has the ball, and can he make eye contact with a guy like Miles or Jalen Smith? Or is he comfortable with where they're going to be on the court? Those are some of the things that I'm watching with that first unit. And I think it was maybe well documented after a day or two that, you know, Rick Carlisle gave praise to the, the blue team or saying the second unit beat, you know, the first unit. And I had some people on Twitter come back and say, well, that's, that's a bad sign. That must mean the starters aren't very good. Well, I, I didn't respond to every reply, but there's a couple things here, Alex, you know, I've played on varsity versus JV scrimmages and the JV wins sometimes just as much as the varsity doesn't mean though, if the JV would go out and play um, in the second game on a Friday night that they're going to be as successful. And the other thing is uh, a couple of the players on that second unit team, they're sometimes they're pretty good practice players. Let's just say uh, TJ McConnell and, you know, Benedict Matherin, those are two guys you could put in a, and a starting five and, and fit in quite nicely. And those are two really competitive guys. So um, just because a group might be more competitive in practice doesn't mean that they would be, you know, better than uh, the first unit that, that you might see. Mm. The big thing I hope for is, is health. 
just so you can see maybe those units go together. But you are going to see maybe at times the second quarter, you're going to have three of that first group and two of the next group and, and some mixing and some matching. That's what I really look forward to watching as we move along. Uh, someone like Rick Carlisle, you know, watching him work, watching him match up strengths of, of guys and seeing what are the preferred five-man combinations. Totally, totally excited to see that as well. I mean, I think when we see these different players put together and how they mesh, it's going to be key for development of this team because we kind of have to know who fits the best with some of your better players that you're hoping are, are here long-term and that being Matherin, specifically anti-Reese Halliburton. But, you know, I also think there's a, a good reason why Duarte is starting over Matherin, and that's one. Rick Carlisle, like you said, has been hammering home defense. And last year, if you look at the numbers – Duarte's defense was some of the best on the Pacers team, and I think most of their defensive lineups had him in it. So it does make a lot of sense to me to have him out there with Miles as you're trying to kind of reestablish this defensive identity, even though I know there's going to be hiccups along the way, as this is a young team that's still trying to kind of find its identity. And I don't even know if they're going to find it this year, but that is one thing that I'm really interested to see how they continue to come together as a collective unit. But, J.J., uh, just – Looking at some of these new players that we acquired via the offseason, you know, Aaron Neesmith, Daniel Tice, uh, what have what is what has stood out about those two players specifically? And then maybe some of the veterans that were brought in here for training camp as well. Well, you know, in the front court, it does seem like there's a little bit of a log jam. And in a season that you're sort of going into with the approach of player development, it's a little bit of an unusual mix with Daniel Tice. And also Rick Carlisle said after practice Monday that they're taking a very patient approach with him considering maybe the amount of wear and tear that he had received while playing for his country uh, in the offseason. He was the last one to arrive to join the Pacers at training camp, and then he had a little bit of an illness to start. And so um, I think he ruled him out even for this first preseason game. And I think I'd go into it. You know what he is, and if you need him, you know how he can help you. But um, And I even was asked on the rally a couple of weeks ago about the Malcolm Brogdon trade and the return. And the reality is you're moving Malcolm Brogdon so you can create playing time and opportunities for your young guards, and you're taking a chance on Aaron Neesmith. But, you know, the first part is probably just as important as the second part. But to me, Aaron Neesmith is a real opportunity. I think similar to what the Pacers had with Jalen Smith last February, I think many people viewed it as a favor to Torrey Craig to send him to Phoenix. And when they got Jalen Smith, it was like, all right, well, that's fine. You know, it doesn't really matter. Many people maybe had the same approach to this Malcolm Brogdon Celtics trade and where they thought, okay, you know, the big return was you got a first-round pick even though it's protected. And then you got maybe some cap space help. But you did get a guy who was a lottery pick that never had a chance to develop and had two seasons on a, a team that was, you know, contending at least last season, obviously contending for a championship. And now you have three players from the lottery or from the top 15, I think, from the 2020 draft on the same team in Tyrese Halliburton, Jalen Smith, and Aaron Neesmith. And you have playing time. You have opportunity. You put him in that second unit. Maybe if there's a, an injury or a guy needs a night off, maybe you start him some. And, and you see what you have right there. I mean, you, ha you really are in a season where you have nothing to lose. And so I am excited with what the potential Aaron Smith or Aaron Neesmith might have. Mm -hmm. And I will admit, from what I've seen in practice, he fits right in, and he has done some things that 
a guy that you pick up via, you know, second round or free agency. He does some things that some other guys can't do. There's a reason why he was drafted where he was by the Boston Celtics. And I know that he is embracing this opportunity. I asked him at media day about the, the chance to play and what he initially thought when, you know, he heard about the trade. Some guys may be disappointed you're leaving a team that had just played in the finals. I, that's not the case in this situation. He, he wanted to play. Um, he's comfortable in the Midwest, and he views this as a real opportunity. And you look no further than, than what Jalen Smith did with his opportunity. I'm sure that's what Aaron Neesmith hopes happens with his. Just to follow up on some of the veterans, uh, it, it remains to be seen the role and just how the roster will look two weeks from now. But James Johnson and, and Langston Galloway are maybe the two you know vets that you might have been speaking of. Mm-hmm. I think they've been bringing a lot of intensity in practice, some physicality, some positivity. And they're, they're different in the ways that they lead. Langston Galloway appears a little bit more vocal. Um, James Johnson, I think, is someone that he's been around the block and he can share a lot of stories with a front court room that is, you know, he and Miles Turner, Daniel Tice are going to kind of be the, the old guys on one side of the room. And then you've got the youngsters on the other side. And so um, I will be interested to see, you know, I don't think they need him to play in a preseason to know what he can do. You want to make sure that if he's needed, he can still play. But as he said at the end of practice on Tuesday, I'm here to serve. I'm, I'm here to do whatever is asked of me. And he had high praise for Rick Carlisle. So it does make a lot of sense why he was one of that one of those veterans that was brought on to at least be here for training camp and, and to potentially have one of those 15 roster spots because Rick Carlisle knows what he's going to get from James Johnson. Yeah, and the Pacers definitely need some veteran leadership. I've been kind of intrigued by what I've heard Langston Galloway say on the YouTube videos of the media uh, asking questions, media availability, and I thought, man, Langston Galloway actually is very impressive with his answers, very thoughtful, and I, I think he's really here to you know help be a veteran as well, and I know he uh, wants to prove that he belongs in the league as well, and I think James Johnson – Kind of is that enforcer the Pacers need on this roster? I was asked that question today on Kevin and Query myself, if there was really a guy that's kind of an enforcer on the team and you know, nobody really stuck out, but I kind of forgot about James Johnson just because uh, we're unsure of, you know, if he's going to make that final 15-man roster. But you brought up some great points about Neesmith and how excited he is to be here. I've been much higher on his fit here with the Pacers than Fachi has been. Fachi's been a little bit lower on his overall plan. I don't know if, you know, Summer League put a little bit of a sour taste in his mouth, but I uh, I believe in Neesmith and, you know, his excitement to be here, I'm sure, is quite different than, you know, Daniel Tice's in terms of leading a championship contender. But, you know, it's a uh, it's got to be one of those tough situations for Tice being traded from the Rockets to the Celtics now to the Pacers. Uh, you know, it's the NBA. It's a business. But, you know, you, you wish him nothing but the best. But speaking of trades, obviously, there's been a lot of stuff out there about Miles Turner. Um, it's kind of funny because it's. I haven't really seen Miles ever really publicly clap back at reporters and stuff like that. So him kind of clapping back at Greg Doyle was a little bit funny on Instagram and Twitter. But how do you think Miles has handled practice in training camp, you know, with everything kind of going on that's been out there in the open? Um, does he seem to have let that bother him or has he been handling things professionally like he like he always has done before? Yeah, well, think about, you know, you, me, we're, we're sort of open to criticism, right? And the mm-hmm. first time you're ever criticized or someone says something uh, negative towards you, whether it's in person or, or on social media, you can, you can let it bother you. And I mean, just go back to the first time someone said, man, Alex, I don't like your pod. And maybe no one said it. I mean, you do such uh, a I've job, had it. I'm sure. 
Right. And, you know, early on in this job, the first year I had a lot of criticism and wasn't necessarily, I don't think about, you know, anything that I did, but change and, and things like that. And, and I let it bother me a little bit. And as time goes along, maybe the criticism is less, but I, I don't think it bothers me as much. And I'll say that as, as a way to, to, you know, an NBA player has infinitely more praise and criticism than uh, than a couple of podcasters or an NBA sideline reporter. So it's not apples um, to apples for a comparison. But I'm not at all worried about what is said. I think Miles is pretty comfortable in his own skin right now, and I think that he is someone that you know is probably has as much fun with it as anything. And he is in a really good spot. Let's be honest: if he can stay healthy, there is nothing but you know, good things that can happen for Miles Turner. And you know how the best things can happen? Him go out and and be a positive influence on the court and stay healthy and and produce. And if he does that, really everything else takes care of itself, whether that's in Indiana or somewhere else. And so it's a unique dynamic. I mean, this is, you're a Pacer fan, you're watching, you've cheered for Miles, you supported him. And you, you, you probably have mixed emotions. You don't want him to, you know, leave disappointed. You want to you wanna maybe to stay. Maybe you'd rather have an asset in return. But the reality is you're not going to want him to leave for nothing. Yeah. And I don't think that's what the Pacers want. And I think Miles would probably acknowledge that. So some of what's written makes a lot of sense, but may not be 100% factual. You know, to say... You know, he doesn't want to be here anymore. I don't, you know, if you offered him a max contract, I bet he would say he would want to be here. <laughs> but I don't know if that, I don't know that that's on the table, is it? I don't, I don't know what is on the table. Yeah. And I don't know if the two sides have, I know they've had a lot of conversations and the front office and, and you know, we saw Rick Carlisle spending time in the offseason with Miles. And I've seen nothing but positive interactions, you know, between the front office, between the coaching staff and Miles. And that's really, kind of all that matters. And so I'm not really worried, you know, long-winded way of answering your question. I'm not worried about what will be said. And, you know, it seems like every week, especially if the Lakers are involved, there's going to be some story written, right? I mean, (laughs) I just read the one this week and I kind of went through it all. And I said, maybe there is some new information here. It kind of boggles my mind that the Lakers would want every little detail of their thought process put out there. I mean, isn't it best to keep some of that behind closed doors? I'm not saying everything that was in there is accurate because I don't really know. I mean, I'm just kind of, I purposely try to stay out of some of those things, but some of it made sense and there will be future articles written and discussions. And all it takes is a team that has high expectations to go on a four or five game losing streak. And, you know, you see it right now with the Colts. You know, when mm. they're struggling, everybody wants to make changes. And that's when a guy who's on the last year of a contract that has a lot of potential on a young and maybe rebuilding type of team gets thrown out there. So it'll happen. I think Miles is is well-equipped, has a good head on his shoulders. I think he can deal with it. I don't think it will affect his play. Um, I just really want him to stay healthy and to have success and to play with joy. And then whether his future is in Indiana or elsewhere – I think it'll benefit everybody. Yeah, and I, and I agree with that. And I and I just want to go back to what you said about the Lakers and whether they want that information out there. Let's let's be honest. LA is attention whores. Okay, they are always trying to get their name up in the media, and I think it's a way for Rob Palinka to say, "Hey, I am actually looking to trade Westbrook. I'm not just sitting here on my assets. I'm really weighing this up. You know, this decision." So that to me is 
you know, it makes a lot of sense. But I always go back. I think you probably tweet this, JJ, almost every season, especially around the trade deadline and trade rumors, you always say the Pacers hardly ever let their information leak. And, you know, you say it in different ways, obviously, but I, I always go back to that because it usually is true. I think the last time we really heard like an open deal that was happening was the Karis LeVert stuff to the Cavaliers. I mean, that had been out there multiple times. I don't know if it was speculation or if there was like legs to it, but that to me is like the only time we really heard that and that actually happened because nobody saw the Brogdon to the Celtics trade happening whatsoever. It was kind of out of left field. And that's usually how the Pacers stuff does happen. So, you know, even when they're heavily involved in trade talks, it's usually not coming from the Pacers side of things. So that is one thing to keep in mind. If you are a Pacers fan listening and seeing these trade rumors, uh, it's usually coming from the opposite source. Unless for some reason the Pacers are leaking information to, you know, get Miles' value up, that could be something. But usually if there's a serious deal, we don't see the Pacers leaking information. But with that being said, we've got a really exciting preseason game tomorrow and we're uh the Pacers are going to be playing the Charlotte Hornets in in this preseason game on the road so I I guess JJ maybe just give me three things you're looking forward to seeing tomorrow in this preseason game well I think the first thing you know anytime you see a lottery pick in a Pacers uniform uh, a real game uniform for the first time I think that's where you're immediately drawn so mm-hmm. it was pretty appropriate of you to bring up Benedict Mather and early on in this conversation and it'll be the Kind of the thing I'm looking forward to. Just like last year, uh, maybe the shiny new present was was Chris Duarte. And remember what he did in that regular season opener <laughs> against Charlotte. So we'll be continuing to see if we can uh, you know, follow Chris Duarte's development, but maybe really keep an eye on Benedict Matherin. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say every game, at least every other game, there's going to be a, a viral type of play or moment from Benedict Mather. I mean, he has the potential to go in the lane and just elevate and, and throw it down or maybe get a steal in a transition play. You're going to see a lot of those this season. And so I, I look forward to seeing the first one of those on Wednesday night. The other person, maybe someone that maybe I would say of the top 10 might have been getting the least amount of attention in the first week is Isaiah Jackson. Because, you know, a lot of people are talking about, let's say, Terry Taylor or Jalen Smith. And, and Miles Turner is a big, you know, discussion point. Uh, Terry Taylor gets a lot of love because people are going to see him from start to finish in this new role. And it's kind of curious because he's undersized. And I'm very fascinated to see what Terry Taylor can do as, you know, what looks like now the backup four and, and he can play in a number of positions. But to me, Isaiah Jackson is the person that you're going to be watching from start to finish. And he's one of the three or four players you have to see you have to see at the end of this season, you have to know exactly what you have. And so can Isaiah Jackson be a starting center in the NBA or is he best suited to be a backup center? And how can he give the Pacers that lob threat that they've been lacking for so many years? I mean, you saw it last season, but he wasn't able to, to stay healthy. So I really want to watch Isaiah Jackson. I've enjoyed the conversations I've had with him, uh, both at media day and I think even after one of the practices. He he probably has made as much personal growth just in terms of something you can take away from a conversation as anyone from the, from last season to this season. And you'll do that a lot from a rookie to a second year, but he's really come into his own and I've, I've enjoyed talking to him and I can't wait to watch him. So two individual aspects, I suppose would be uh, Benedict Matherin or individual storylines, Benedict Matherin and Isaiah Jackson. And then the third, um, 
Rick Carlisle on Monday and on Tuesday was asked kind of general questions about his mindset for the preseason, the approach for the game against Charlotte, rotations, who might play. And he did not hesitate to say it's a short preseason. There are only four games. We're going to play probably a lot of guys, but our main guys are going to play a lot and we're going to play to win. And who knows in the fourth quarter what you'll see, but that's kind of counter to what a lot of teams, the way a lot of teams approach the preseason. And so to me, if you're going to go out there and you're going to go to Charlotte, you're going to go to New York, you'd much rather have a plane ride, you know, home on Friday that you win than, than one that you lose. And think about the way some of those guys ended last season with that losing streak. Some of them are probably really anxious to play a basketball game and win a basketball game. And so it doesn't matter. It's not like Thursday morning you're going to wake up and be, you know, jumping for joy if they win and down in the dumps if they lose. And, and you know, you might even say that in the second week of December that that's your approach because I just I have no idea which direction this season will go. But I think for this preseason game, I think it, it might say something. It might mean a lot with as hard as they've worked in, the, in training camp to see them go out and fight and scrape and claw and play against a team that's already played one preseason game. So you're up against it a little bit, and they were embarrassed. So I'm guessing Charlotte might have a similar approach. This might be as intense of a preseason game as, as you'll see over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I expect any Steve Clifford team to come play hard, even if it is preseason. Uh, cool to see him back in the NBA coaching, uh, the team that actually let him go uh, prior uh, to the coach that hired him and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm honestly most um, interested in just seeing how competitive this team actually is, how they execute some of the stuff that's been put in the uh, in the training camp and what they've done in the offseason. But, you know, I want to see – for me personally, I want to see how Miles Turner is utilized without a DeMontis Sabonis. Is he going to be more of a screen and roller kind of guy? Is he going to be more of a pick and pop type of player? And how are they going to utilize him and Jalen next to one another? I think that's really exciting for me as well. And one player that we haven't uh, touched on that I think has kind of fallen between the cracks a little bit is O'Shea Brissett. I think he's been getting a lot more social media love from the Pacers account over the past week, but it felt like there for a while we hadn't heard much conversation about him. He wasn't with that second unit on opening day training camp. So has that changed at all in practice at all? And is maybe O'Shea kind of being slept on a little bit here in terms of how important he could be to this Pacers team? Yep, perhaps. I mean, he is one of the guys that, while I still think he can make some significant improvements, you might know or you might think, you know, you know what you have more with O'Shea Brissett than with others. And and to me, he's an energy guy. He can help you off the bench. He can play a variety of positions. Uh, he goes through hot stretches and, and cold stretches with the outside shooting. And to me, that's probably the biggest key for his longevity in the league is, is can he be a more consistent outside shooter? And just because he's been here a little bit longer and, and you really do want to see what you have from Terry Taylor. And you're intrigued by, to me, the elite rebounding skills that he has and if you have elite skills at something um, you're going to be maybe a part of of the rotation so it's fair to say that he hasn't probably gotten as much maybe you know attention or or training camp playing time but also remember the regular season last season started and I think he was maybe BNP coach's decision maybe three of the first five games and 
took until maybe the second or third week for him to get an opportunity, and he made the most of it. And that's a credit to O'Shea. Where he was when the Pacers signed him to a 10-day contract and, and where he's at right now, I think it's a tribute to his hard work. And I think that he may start out of the rotation, but he may earn an opportunity. And there, it's one of those things. I can even remember last season, people were you know, critical at different times when the season was going awry that, you know, well, why is this guy not playing? Why is this guy playing? Well, the reality is you, you really play nine or sometimes 10, maybe nine and a half is the proper rotation amount. So for every player that someone wants to sit at home and be upset that that person's not in the rotation, you have to take someone out. So, you know, it's tough. I mean, are you just right now saying Terry Taylor versus O'Shea Brissett? Maybe that's, that's kind of where you're at, even though I think we've acknowledged that, you know, maybe O'Shea could play some three, and so maybe he could, could get some of Aaron Neesmith's time, and there are always going to be injuries. I mean, you don't go through a season without injuries. So if you start the season 11th, you could be ninth pretty quickly and, and getting playing time. So the key, I think, for O'Shea, don't be frustrated or upset and be ready when his opportunity will come because it will come. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things, too. It's like O'Shea has been in this position before where his back's been against the wall and he's had to kind of earn his playing time and prove himself. And, you know, going into a contract year, maybe that's the motivation that he needs to, you know, go out there and showcase what he can do and not press so much. And and sometimes I think guys can do that. They can kind of press to try to prove their their worth in the league and their value to a certain team. But at the same time, I think it's just that can cause, you know, anxiety and turnovers and that kind of thing and just not playing within the rhythm of the game, within the flow of the game. So, JJ, this was a lot of fun. I'm really glad we got you back on the podcast. Always a pleasure talking to you. I'm wishing you nothing but, uh, nothing but the best this season. I know it's going to be an awesome time just to watch this young group develop. And I think it's always more fun when you see a team, you know, grow together instead of, you know, just assembling all these pieces, throwing them together, that kind of thing. So we're, we're in for an exciting season, JJ. But um, with that being said, is there anything you'd like to plug before I let you go? Um, you know, I just want um, people to enjoy the games and enjoy the effort and the and the growth. It's an unusual season just because uh, you don't necessarily for, – for as long as I've had this position, I mean, you've sat down at media day and you've asked questions along the lines of, you know, competing for a top four seed or advancing into the second round. And I didn't really ask any of those questions, even though there were a handful of guys who on their own wanted to – try to prove everybody wrong and say, it's okay. We've been picked at the bottom before and, and we're going to show maybe we're a little bit better than that. And if that happens, that would be awesome. But um, yeah, it, I don't want to get into all the details of, of the streaming situation other than to say, if some of you did not have the opportunity to watch the Pacers in the last couple of seasons, there is an opportunity now with Valley Sports Plus and it, we'll do the best we can to make it worth your while and to make the, sh the programming as entertaining as possible. And I did want to also just to clarify, I've had some people reach out. If you watch the Pacers last season, you know, whether it was DirecTV or Comcast or Bright House or any of the other ways, you can still do that. So um, we'll be on the air next week for the two home preseason games. And then uh, the broadcast schedule has not officially been released, but you don't see any TNT and you don't see any ABC. So there's a pretty good chance all 82 uh, we'll be on Valley Sports, and we've got continuity on the broadcast crew with with Chris and Quinn back together, and Eddie joining me for you know quite a bit of the shows, all the home shows, and some of the road ones as well, and Pat Boylan contributing as well, and and our same production crew as we've had 
for for last year and and some of them for a long time. So we'll do the best we can to make it worth your while and just uh, embrace and look forward to watching and maybe take your own personal snapshot of what you see on opening night and see the growth that you see at the end of the season and hope that the franchise is in a better place in six months. That's all really any franchise can ask for. And uh, sideline guys will be back up and going. I think we're going to try to be back on a normal Wednesday podcast routine. Pat's been pretty busy. We got one podcast in last week and we'll do another one prior to the start of the season. But the goal is still to be uh, coming out about every Wednesday on the Pacers Sound podcast channel. And then we'll try to have maybe some special surprises just by being back on the road this season. It'll be good to, to provide a more of a firsthand account of what's what's going on with the team. Yeah, I'm excited for all of that. And I, and I think for everybody that's upset about the streaming thing, I understand 20 bucks is a lot per month. I understand that. Like JJ said, not going to get into all that, but if you want to watch the Pacers, get Valley Sports. They do a terrific job that the team of Chris, Quinn, JJ, and everybody there uh, putting on a great pregame, postgame, and game telecast for you guys. So I, I echo all of that. And if you're unable to get that, I mean, I'm saying get yourself down to the games and support this team. Tickets probably will be somewhat cheaper than usual. I don't know, but I'm just saying get down there, support this team. We've asked for a rebuild for multiple years. Get out there and do it. But, yes, Pacer Sound as well. It's a must listen. I, I love listening to the sideline guys in my heart, which I always joke with JJ about. It's the PB&J Squared podcast unofficially for me. Uh, I always got to bring that up. But, you know, uh, it's super cool. And I'm hoping this season we get more guests on the podcast, JJ. Uh, you know, I love listening to you and Pat for sure. But it is also cool to kind of get behind the scenes thoughts on maybe some of the players or coaches and that kind of thing. So as a listener, I'm just putting that out there. I like the guest interviews as well. So uh, thank you so much for coming on. Make sure you guys give JJ a follow on Twitter at Pacers JJ to keep up with all of his awesome content. And hope you guys enjoy today's interview with JJ. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. And that does it for another episode here of Setting the Pace. Thank you all so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, give us a five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you let us know what you think by leaving us a nice five-star rating and review. But with that being said, if you haven't already, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. My co-host Mike Facci is at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can check us out on Instagram at Pacers Talk on Facebook and TikTok at Setting the Pace. And over at YouTube, you can find our webpage there, our page on YouTube, Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. If you don't want to find that on YouTube, you can just look it up on Google. We also have um, a link tree set up now that is what we're going to be using to spread our, our content. So if you've not seen that yet, make sure you find that link. You'll be able to find all of those links there. But with that being said, if you're excited for Pacers basketball tonight, I got three words for you. Let's go Pacers. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.